story. So we're going to be going to Matthew 2, then over to Luke 2, and all that good stuff. Now, uh, today is a, a kind of a history lesson about how you receive joy at Christmas, and I'd like us to learn about joy from the Christmas kings. So it will be a little bit of a history lesson for all of you. And if you don't like history, how many don't like history? Too bad. All right. All right, let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever else you have your Bible on, and let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive and is powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it from my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to learn about joy, which how many know we all need a little more joy in our lives? And uh, America, really, of all the countries in the world, we should be uh, not that just the happiest place, but the most joyful place in the world. And the first place to start with that is the three kings of Christmas. So here you go on your notes this morning. Here's the first thing to write down, the joyous kings. Now, this, this is the wise men that we sing about every Christmas, so you should know about them. Matthew 2 beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of, uh, in Bethlehem, let's see, I lost my place. I I had to scratch my eye, that's why, okay. All right, all right, let's start again. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, And have come to worship him. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. We'll come back to Herod in a bit. All right? Now, uh, let's go to uh, verse 9. When they heard the king, they, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they heard or when they had come into the house, uh, they saw the young child with, with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, which represents royalty, uh, frankincense, which represents divinity, and myrrh, which represents humanity. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, Let me give you a little history about the nativity scene. How many like nativity scenes? I love nativity scenes. In fact, my personal opinion is is that they should be on every piece of property that belongs to the government. That's just my thoughts, all right? I'm not politically correct. I'm just politically Christ correct. That's how I say it. All right, anyways, you need to know uh, in nativity scenes, we always show the wise men uh, being there, but the truth is they weren't there. All right? Now, I like 
I like the fact that we put them in the nativity scene, so I'm not saying if you have them in your house, don't take them out, leave them in there. But, but it, it, I like it because it makes us talk about their story. But you need to know, you need to teach your children about the scene because the wise men were not there at the actual birth of Jesus. They showed up uh, anywhere from Jesus being nine months to sometime uh, under two years of age. So these guys were from Persia, which was about a thousand mile journey to Jerusalem, and it would take them anywhere from six to nine months uh, to get there. And the scriptures that we just read tell us very clearly when they arrived, they came into the house and saw what? Not a baby, a young child. In fact, it says in that portion of scripture, it tells us, uh, mentions the word young child nine times in seven verses. So we know Jesus is under two years of age, and uh, these magi came into the house to worship Jesus. Now, these guys were actually called magi, and the word magi is plural in the Greek, meaning two or more. So we know there were at least two. It doesn't say three wise men. We just think three wise men because they presented three gifts. So we just kind of put come to that conclusion. Now, the question many ask is this. How did these wise men know that Jesus was king of the Jews? They were not Jewish. They didn't have a Bible. So uh, how did they know what the scripture said? Uh, now, most of you don't. How many know the story of Balaam? Great. That's really good to know. Okay. <clears throat> well, Balaam uh, was a prophet, but he wasn't really a, a prophet of God. He was uh, kind of just a guy that spoke, but he could hear from God. And when the children of Israel were, were going through the wilderness, uh, a guy named Balak, uh, from a king from Moab, he hired this guy named Balaam to curse Israel. But each time, as this guy tried to curse him, he wanted to curse him because he wanted the money that he was offering, he prophesied a blessing over Israel, no matter how hard he tried to come up with something against him. And each time he's going to prophesy, he thinks he's going to be allowed to curse them, but he can't because God shows up each time and prophesies a blessing over them. On the fourth prophecy, this is very interesting, he prophesies that the Messiah will come out of Judah and a star will herald his birth. And uh, you also need to know that Balaam started the Magi in the book of Daniel, which is where uh, Israel was in captivity, and in Babylon, which is in Persia. And each king had his own group of magicians, uh, which comes from the word magi. These magicians were counselors to the king. So Balaam was the father of the magi. He started it. So the reason the wise men knew about the king of the Jews was because they had Balaam's prophecy, and you can look this up in Numbers 24, and in the Persian archives as well. On record, the Persians have Balaam talking about this nation whose God is the true God and the Messiah that would come from them and would rule the whole world and a star would herald his birth. Now, just so you know, there's evidence, uh, possibly, uh, we think, that the planets lined up at that time. So that could have been the star. It also could have been the uh, a heavenly host that showed up at his birth. And uh, we need to remember that angels are referred to as stars in the book of Revelation. So, and Jesus is also called the bright and morning star. So we don't really know what the star was. 
but we could give uh, this star a little significance because after meeting Herod, it tells us they came out and the star went before them. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a moving star. I've seen a shooting star, but not a moving star. So we need to think about this for a moment because stars don't really move or went. Stars uh, don't do that. Now, it tells us they followed the star until it came and stood over the house. By the way, stars don't stand, so uh, we don't know, but it stood over the house where the young child was. Uh, It could have been an angel at that point leading them uh, for sure. Uh, I think it was, but we don't know what they saw first. So when they saw uh, or when they start this journey, they see a star and follow it to Jerusalem, which is the capital city. So they think that is where the king of the Jews should be. And the religious leaders say, oh, no, he's not here. And Herod calls his uh, Pharisees together as teachers of of the Bible. And uh, he had to show, these guys had to show the Magi what the Bible said. And, of course, they showed him Micah 2 to let them know that that Micah prophesied he would be born in Bethlehem. So, and I'm telling you this, I hope that you will grow in the Word. I know I'm going quickly, but I'm hoping you will study out what I'm saying today. Go to Numbers 24. Go to Micah 2 and learn that this was all prophesied ahead of time. Now, here's why they're called the joyous kings. These guys weren't just joyful. They were rejoicing dudes. These guys didn't just rejoice with joy or with great joy, but they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now, just so you know, I rejoice with exceedingly great joy when the Seahawks throw a touchdown. I, 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 I jump up, I shout, I clap, I, yes! And I give high fives, all sorts of stuff like that. And, and even my wife got into the last or to the game against the 49ers and jumped up and clapped and danced and gave him high fives. And just so you know, so does Lynn, do, Lynn Gebhardt. She's crazy. Dan Gebhardt does it. Gary Binding does it. Gary Wakeman does it. And my brother Pinky does it. They don't just rejoice. They go absolutely crazy when the team they're rooting for does something good. Now, Lois also rejoices greatly, exceedingly with great joy, when clothing goes on sale at 50% or more off. But all of us rejoice with exceedingly great joy. We should when we come to church. Mm. All right, just saying, some of you are looking at me like, yeah, that'll be a cold day somewhere. All right, now, I just want you to know. Now, the word on your notes, exceedingly means this. It means to have an unus- to an unusual degree. This is not on your notes. You need to write it down. Nothing I said today is on your notes, actually, hardly. Extreme and excessive. So what I want you to see is that these guys were not unintelligent. Uh, they were socially uh, acceptable people. They were wealthy, and they were educated men of the day. And these guys, before they even get into the house, get off their camels, they begin to clap, shout, dance, jump, and do a little rocking around the camel before they, they get in there. I'm telling you, they got, a, they got a, a revelation of who Jesus was. So they rejoiced with extreme, excessive, and unusual great joy. Then they walk into the house, and it tells us they fall down before the child. Now, these two words... Uh, mean a fall down is one word in the Greek, and it's the word pipto, which means to fall down 
violently, to break into pieces, to shatter. In other words, uh, years ago, my wife had, a, had some plates that she said were unbreakable. When you say that to a man, at least me, you're wondering, are they really unbreakable? So I took this plate, which was a mistake. I held it up like this, and my daughters were very young at the time, and Lois is looking at me like, I said, I just want to know if it's unbreakable. I dropped it. It shattered literally into 100 pieces, to which my wife started crying. I know, I know it was wrong. It was, I shouldn't have done it. So we swept it up, put it into a bag, and taped it up, and sent it off to the manufacturer, and they sent her back a new plate. And uh, we learned that it wasn't unbreakable. But the point I'm trying to make here is that these, when you get in the presence of Jesus, not only do you worship exuberantly, exciting, uh, just uninhibited, but you also get broken in his presence. So here here are two things they did when they met Jesus. They worshiped exuberantly, and then they gave extravagantly. You want to know the two keys of joy? Joy comes when you worship exuberantly and you give extravagantly. They were worshipers in unusual degrees, and they gave far more above than what we think. From what I can see from studying this out, they gave above and beyond what they were planning to give. And we don't, uh, we know this because verse 11 says they opened their treasures. And uh, that means they, they had someone that, they, they had a treasury and they had someone that watched over it and that kept not only the m- gifts that they were going to give, but it also was their travel expenses to, to get there and to get back home. So they planned to give some gifts, but not all of it. But I think what happens, happened to them when they got in the presence of Jesus They said, open it all up and give it all. And I'm sure the treasurer said, wait a second, man, now we're going to get back home. And I think they said, you know what? I don't know, but the Savior will take care of it. So the main thing I want you to notice about these guys is that they worshiped and they gave extravagantly, and they had to to go to other people to to find Jesus at one time or another. They, They couldn't find it out on their own, even though they had a star. Somehow the star stopped. And they had to go find someone who could open the word of God to them and, and show them the way. But I want you to see this. After they worshiped extravagantly, after they gave excessively, God spoke to them. And he came to them in a dream. And verse 12 tells us, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed uh, for their own country another way. So they had to hear from God from others at first, but once they fell in love with Jesus, he began to speak to them. If you want God to speak to you, begin to worship in unusual degrees and begin to give excessively, be an extravagant giver. So that's how you get joy. Now, sometimes we're so conservative in our worship, but when these men met Jesus, they let it go, and so should we. And I just want you to know as a pastor, I really want a church to be more of letting it go. Come on. We need to be, we need to be. So let's just crap. Let's give the Lord a big applause. If you want to stand, give him a standing applause. Don't hold it back. Come on. That's what it should be. He's worthy. He's worthy. All of it. 
Give him, be excessive in your praise. Now, all right. For those of you who didn't stand, just turn to your neighbor and say, for the sake of Christmas, let it go. All right. All right, here's number two. Write down the jealous king. Now, all of the characteristics in the Christmas story, which I don't know, of all of them, which one do you identify with? How many identify with Gabriel, the archangel? I don't think so, all right. How about Mary, you know, being a, a virgin pregnant? That's, I don't think so, okay. Joseph, well, we don't know much about him, so I don't relate to him. The shepherds, no, they were scaredy cats. I don't relate to them. The wise men, not really. They were rich, smart, and exuberant worshipers and givers. So I'm learning, but I still got a long ways to go. How about baby Jesus? I don't think so. So I have to tell you that the one I identify with the most in the Christmas story is King Herod. Now, you might call this guy the villain of Christmas, and I'm sorry, but I want you to know I believe there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. So let me tell you a little bit about Herod. So when I read these verses about him, you will understand uh, what is lying behind his decisions. First, he was a client king of Judea, which means he was appointed by Rome. In fact, he wasn't even Jewish, and didn't, uh, that didn't sit well with the Jewish people. He was very smart, very talented, and very politically astute. He was known as a builder. He rebuilt the temple. He built uh, fort cities. He built uh, aqueducts. He built the port city of Caesarea, which, is about, which was about 80 miles north of uh, Tel Aviv. It was named Caesarea after Caesar to butter him up, all right? He built the West Wall, which is really a retaining wall because he was going to expand uh, the property there and the temple. And it is now called the Wailing Wall, and it still exists today. And it's where uh, Jewish people and people from all the world come to pray. Unfortunately, his ambition got the best of him, and that's where this is a little bit, uh, where I think a little bit of Herod is in all of us. Now, let me tell you a little story about him. Do you remember studying the story of Julius Caesar? Anybody remember Julius Caesar? Okay. Uh, I, I read the story about him in high school and then in college. And this is where the Roman Senate murdered Julius Caesar right there on the Senate floor. When he died, his nephew Octavius and his friend Mark Anthony, how many have ever heard of Mark Anthony? Mark Anthony was married to a very famous woman from Egypt. Does anybody remember her name? Okay, a few, three of you, thank you so much. Cleopatra. And, and, and as time went by, uh, everyone realized that uh, something needed to be done. So Octavius and uh, Mark Anthony teamed up to rid Rome of all the people who murdered uh, uh, Julius Caesar. And Octavius was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. So as they rid everybody in Rome from, from these scoundrels, then it came down to a point where Mark Anthony and his friend Octavius were the only two left, and one of them needed to be the Caesar. While both of them had allegiance and legions of armies, and uh, as, it had, uh, as it came about, there became a civil war between these two guys. And as there was a civil war, it, you need to know that this is where Herod comes in. Herod had befriended Mark Anthony and his famous wife from Egypt, Cleopatra. So 
the Roman citizens, though, hated Cleopatra because they were afraid she was going to try to bring Egypt into Rome and she would become the queen. So they had all sorts of misgivings about Cleopatra. So over time, King Herod continued to host parties for Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. He continued to lavish them with expensive gifts. He supported them in a rebellion right outside of Alexandria. Uh, so as Octavius grew in power and Mark Anthony grew in power, there became this civil war. And unfortunately, Herod bet on the wrong horse. Mark Anthony and his allegiances were almost immediately defeated, and they retreated to Alexandria. And then in a very short amount of time, Octavius became the first emperor of Rome. So Herod is back in Jerusalem and realizes, realize, man, I backed the wrong guy. So he has one of three options. Number one, just kill yourself and get it over with, or you can run, but eventually they will find you, so you'll be a fugitive, or three, you can just hunker down and hope they ignore you. Well, Herod was so politically astute that he, he, he was so much about his legacy that he did something unbelievable that I don't think anybody would have done, really, but it turned out to be the most incredible political maneuver ever. So what he did was he got on a boat and went to this island where Octavius was residing, who is now the emperor of Rome, knocked on the door and asked to talk to the emperor. Everyone is wondering, why are you here, Herod? I mean, we all know you're the enemy of Octavius, and yet you're here to talk to him? Well, Octavius, they go tell him he's outside, and out of curiosity, he lets him in, and Herod gives one of the most spectacular speeches uh, uh, that, that was unbelievable. So here's what he said, and I'm just summarizing it a little bit. He said, as you know, as he stands before Octavius, I was friend of your enemy, Mark Anthony. And as you know, I was a loyal supporter of his in the beginning, in the Civil War, and all the way to the very end. So what you know about me is this. When I pledge my allegiance to someone, I am loyal to them to the end. And oh, great Caesar, I pledge my loyalty to you. Well, Caesar is so moved and impressed and amazed. Not only did, did, uh, he, did Herod just leave the room, he told Herod when he left, you get to keep Judea, and I'm also going to give you Samaria, Jericho, and Gaza as well, and send him home. How many know that was an amazing move? So that, this king, Herod, he's smart. He's politically astute, extremely ambitious, but the thing that got him in trouble was that he was so committed to his own control, to his own legacy, that he made bad decision after bad decision. So, uh, you need to know he changed his will four times. He had four sons. After we tell him, you're going to be the next son, you're going to be the next Herod, he changed his mind, killed a kid, and... Uh, Pretty soon after about the fourth kid comes out, I don't want to be king kind of thing. You know. That's all right. But, but he was so committed to his legacy, he wanted someone related to him to be on the throne. So he had many wives as well. And then he, after he would marry them, spend a few months or weeks, whatever, he would exile them. And after he married them, then he would send some, some of his soldiers over to kill him. And he had a favorite wife. This is true. He had a favorite wife named Miriam that he killed, but later 
He regretted it. Isn't that sweet? You know, I really liked her. I wish, I wish she was back, you know, but I killed her. Oh, well. So, and he killed so many rabbis that none of the rabbis wanted to come near the city of Jerusalem because when King Aaron got mad, he would do whatever he wanted to do to control his kingdom and to control his legacy. So this guy is nuttier than a fruitcake. And the reason I say that is because this is the season for fruitcake. Okay. But, but, and why? Here's why. Because, and I, some of you need to hear this this morning, he won't give up power and control. He's concerned consumed with controlling everyone and everything around him. Now, Jesus is born. King Herod is about 70 years old at this time. He has a kidney, kidney disease, and it's very painful. So he's trying to consolidate his power and ensure the next generation carries on his legacy. But then he gets the most disturbing news ever. He finds out that five miles south of him, there's a new king, and this king is learning to walk. He's a toddler. And as we read earlier, the Magi uh, show up and they want to know where the baby was and, and uh, King Herod's disturbed. So, and, and when King Herod gets, distur- Herod gets disturbed, everybody gets disturbed because when King Herod gets disturbed, he goes on a killing rampage and so everybody's scared. So he comes up with a plan. And this is what Matthew tells us when he meets the wise men. Verse seven, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, So he calls them secretly, determined from them what time the star appeared. So he's trying to piece this all together. And he went to to Bethlehem, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Not. (laughs) So while the wise men are worshiping Jesus and giving extravagantly, to, to this King Jesus, five miles away, Herod is so worried about controlling the outcome that he can't go to the wor- there to worship, but he's consumed with how he can get rid of this king that could steal his legacy. His whole life is about preserve, protect, and control. Preserve what? His power. Protect what? His possessions. Control outcomes that might affect his legacy. So uh, with, the, with his fist clenched and, and even in physical pain, he's not about to bow his knee to anyone. He's not about to worship or bow to anyone except himself. And that is why I say there's a little Herod in all of us. See, if we can leverage God to give us what we want, we're in on it. But to give God a blank check with my life in complete surrender and worshiping him with my whole life, that's a different story for a lot of us. So God warns us through the wise men, and they go home a different, or warns the wise men, they go home a different way, and then Matthew tells us in verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. Another word, furious. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who are in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So he becomes furious, and when he becomes furious, he kills people. People die. So Herod spent his whole life controlling outcomes. No matter what happens, he had always been able to figure out a way to control situations and control outcomes. So this time, he thinks, I figured it out. 
I can outsmart. He doesn't know it's God, but he thinks he can outsmart God. And, he, 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 and the truth is he gets outsmarted by a baby and a couple of Jewish parents who can hear from God. So I, I want you to hear that. No matter what situation you're in, if you put your trust in God, God's smarter than whatever you're battling, all right? And while God warns Joseph and Mary to leave Bethlehem, Herod gives orders to kill every baby in Bethlehem that is two years old and under. And historians tell us that after this fact, Herod died within five days to a year after he killed all those babies. And uh, just before he died, though, he had his soldiers gather up all the rich and influential men of Jerusalem and gave orders to kill them within the hour that he would die. And here's the reason. He gave this order so someone would be mourning on the day that he died because he knew <laughs> on the day that he would die, there would be this huge party in Jerusalem and uh, he wanted the streets to be full of mourning. But on the day he died, they released all the prisoners and the prisoners and everybody partied. So, all right. Now, here's the key to write down about Herod's life. Control is the greatest killer of joy. What will attack your joy more than anything else in our lives is you and I trying to stay in control. You can never have joy until you give up control. So Herod represents what steals joy, and he was called Herod the Great. You know why he was called Herod the Great? Because he gave himself that name. But 2,000 years later in the story of Jesus, he becomes a footnote of a villain king, a jealous king. And yet he was only five miles away from a savior that could change his life. He missed it. The wise men represent what gives us joy. They, they surrender control. They fall down and worship, and they're broken, and they become extravagant givers and because they surrendered it all to him. So we have the joyous king, we have the jealous king. Here's the last one you can write down, the just king. Or the toddler king. He's, he's the one who is truly justified to be the king. So let's just take a moment and read the story, the Christmas story out of Luke 2. Here we go. Verse 8. Now there, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will uh, be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I don't know about you, but that just makes me want to, come on, Jesus. So let's talk about the contrast just for a moment between the king, this king and King Herod. See, there's a Herodian spirit that, that lives on, that won't let you give up control, that won't let you stop manipulating everybody you're around. You're constantly stretched out trying to control every situation and everyone around you, which makes some people miss the joy of Christmas. You ever been around? I've seen more women stressed out over the Christmas dinner and missing Christmas 
It's kind of like the Mary Martha thing, you know. Lord, when are you going to have somebody come and help me? Get Mary up off of her knees from worshiping you. I, I need her in the kitchen. And you're, you're a fun person to be around, Martha. Yeah, real fun. So the opposite of that is a king named Jesus. He's the sustainer, creator of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, king of kings and lord of lords. He comes to the earth as a helpless, vulnerable baby. He becomes completely dependent upon his creation for his life. He has to be nourished by someone to stay alive. He has to be carried everywhere he goes. He gives up all control. He comes as a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. And here's the bottom line today. If you want joy in your life, you have to quit fighting control, quit uh, fighting to keep control, and you'll have to quit manipulating all the people around you. And true joy comes when you give up and surrender it all to him. So our King Jesus said this, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. So Jesus comes in direct contrast to self-serving leadership and shows us that the way you find life is you lose it. So the story we just read tells us they would find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And many of us, when I, when I was a kid, I thought of swaddling cloths as like a, 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 a little cuddly blankie for, for the baby, you know. And we think of a manger as a barn, and, and a manger is actually a feeding trough. And I like the word manger a lot better because uh, the word swaddling also, uh, you need to know this. So feeding trough and then the word swaddling actually means strips of cloth. And we all like these words uh, because they sound so much better in our Christmas presentations. Manger, swaddling cloth. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. That sounds much better than you will find the babe wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a feeding trough. You know, give me, and you will find the babe wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a feeding trough. No, I, I like the words swaddling cloths and major much better. And here's the thing. The truth is swaddling cloths were carried by people when they traveled in case they found a dead person on the road along the way. Somebody had been robbed, somebody had been killed, and they were not allowed to touch a dead person. Uh, so uh, the way they, they did it was using those, those cloths. So the way it really should read is like this. You will find the babe wrapped in burial cloths, lying in a feeding trough. Don't you think that's pretty symbolic? Our king's birth is a picture of a king born to die for our sins. The very moment he came into this world, he was a picture of being wrapped in death to himself for the sake of us. Now, he knew his purpose. He knew his purpose was to lay down his life for us. And by the way, once you meet the king, you find your purpose. It's the same purpose, to lay down our lives for not only the king, but for all the people in our lives as well. He was the complete opposite of King Herod. And as we learn to lay down our lives for others, it's the only way you'll ever experience true joy. Let's stand. I love Christmas. It's a time for joy. It's a time for celebration. But the truth is, like I said, many of us don't experience the joy of Christmas because we get so caught up in control and manipulation. And I don't want you to miss Christmas this year. 
I don't want you to miss the joy of Christmas. I want you to be able to say, God, I trust you with it all. I had a guy call me this week, frantic. Lives out of town, didn't know him very well. Frantic about not having gifts for his kids. And uh, I said, do you go to a church? No, I don't go to church. I don't do this or that. And uh, He was just frantic. And I said, well, and so I sent him a little prayer. Lord, help him find his solution. I didn't want to be, I didn't feel like I was supposed to be the solution to it, the situation. Anyway, he texts me back two days later and said, it's all taken care of. And I just want you to see, when you give it to Jesus, it can be all taken care of care of. So, you know what? Let's start out or end this service today by worship. And I want you to just be extravagant worshipers and give your all to him. And if we can have prayer people come on up, if you need to give your life to Christ, if you need healing as we worship, would you just do that? Surrender it all to the Lord.
telling you, He is a way maker. No matter what you're facing today, I'm telling you the joy of Christmas. Come into your circumstances, your situations. If you let go of control and you let go of manipulation, God can change it all for you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, it all starts with surrendering to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And you walked in here today, maybe you've given your life at one time, but you're not serving God today, and today's your day to recommit your life to Christ. Or maybe you never have, and the Lord is saying to you, today's your day. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. Just raise it up and say, that's me. I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Raise him high. Don't hold back. Anyone like that, just raise your hand. Okay, everyone here that I can see is right with God. All right. So, Lord, let's everybody pray right now. Father, we pray that this will be a miracle Christmas. We pray, Lord, that you will come and turn our situations into places of joy and surrender for all of you. I pray, Lord, you will show up in every home, in every house, and in every life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand this morning. All right. You're dismissed. God bless you. Have an incredible day.